First Timothy chapter three. First Timothy three. We're going to be reading the sixteen verses of this chapter. First Timothy three, beginning at verse one. What we hear now is God's word. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first, Then let them serve as deacons, if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves, and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that, if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. I invite you to turn to the back of the Trinity Psalter hymnal to page 866 in the back section. Page 866 as this morning we look at the Belgic Confession, Articles 30 and 31. Reading from page 866, Article 30, entitled, The Government of the Church. We believe that this true church ought to be governed according to the spiritual order that our Lord has taught us in His Word. 
There should be ministers or pastors to preach the word of God and administer the sacraments. There should also be elders and deacons, along with the pastors, to make up the council of the church. By this means, true religion is preserved, true doctrine is able to take its course, and evil men are corrected spiritually and held in check, so that also the poor and all the afflicted may be helped and comforted according to their need. By this means, everything will be done well and in good order in the church, when such men are elected, who are faithful, and chosen according to the rule that Paul gave to Timothy. Article 31, the officers of the church. We believe that ministers of the word of God, elders and deacons, ought to be chosen to their offices by a legitimate election of the church with prayer in the name of the Lord and in good order as the word of God teaches. So everyone must be careful not to push himself forward improperly, but he must wait for God's call, so that he may be assured of his calling and be certain and sure that he is chosen by the Lord. As for the ministers of the word, they all have the same power and authority, no matter where they may be, since they are all servants of Jesus Christ, the only universal bishop and the only head of the church. Moreover, to keep God's holy order from being violated or despised, we say that everyone ought, as much as possible, to hold the ministers of the word and the elders of the church in special esteem because of the work they do, and be at peace with them without grumbling, quarreling, or fighting. This is our confession of faith. We continue to look at that section of the Belgic Confession dealing with the Church of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have talked about the attributes of the Church. It is one holy Catholic Church. We have talked about the marks of the true Church, preaching the gospel, proper administration of the sacraments, and the exercise of Christian discipline toward repentance. And last time, the marks of true Church members by faith embrace Jesus Christ, who flee from sin and pursue righteousness in love to God. This morning, we come to these articles that deal with the offices of the church, the offices of minister and elder and deacon. Kids, have you ever wondered, why does our church have ministers and elders and deacons? Not all churches do. Some churches refer to the leadership of the church as the board of directors. Some refer to them as the trustees of the church. Why is it that we have ministers and elders and deacons? Is this something that our church came up with? When our church began back in the 1950s, hey, this is a good idea. Let's have ministers and elders and deacons to give leadership in the church. Is it something that the Reformation came up with, part of reforming the church? Our understanding of ministers, elders, and deacons is rooted in the scriptures themselves. We hold to this type of polity, this type of government, because it's what the Bible reveals to us. Now, some might say that 
you know, church officers are kind of a strange topic for the sermon. After all, isn't the sermon supposed to be about Christ? Isn't the sermon supposed to be about the gospel? That is absolutely true. But as we, as we look at this text this morning and consider this topic of the officers of the church, we remind ourselves that, that being faithful to God as a church is more than just a proper understanding of salvation. It is certainly a proper understanding of salvation. It is more than that. It is also a proper understanding of, of the way God wants his church run the way God wants his church organized. After explaining the, the qualifications for elder, the qualifications for deacon, we read this, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. How is the church to order itself? That's what Paul's teaching. And our, our own confession reflects that when it says in Article 30, we believe that this true church ought to be governed according to the spiritual order that our Lord taught us in his word. So it's not an improper topic for a sermon. And, and I, I, I hope that as we go through this, you will see how, how the authors of the church reflect the work of Christ and his ministry among us. How they reflect what Jesus Christ has done and continues to do for his church. We just sang a song about Jesus as our prophet and priest and king. And we're gonna talk about that this morning. The role of Jesus fulfilling the Old Testament role of prophet and priest and king. How Jesus <clears throat> gave that, that, those roles their fullest meaning. And yet Jesus has gone back to heaven. Jesus has ascended, but he continues the ministry, the prophetic and priestly and kingly ministry through the offices of the church as a gift for our blessing. And this morning, the offices of the church. We think about the Old Testament. There were, there were a few people who were set aside to be leaders among the people of God to give leadership, to give direction. Uh, one of those types of leaders was the Old Testament prophets. And, and kids, you can probably name some of the prophets. You think about Isaiah, think about Jeremiah, think about Elijah, think about Elisha, these Old Testament prophets. What was the task of the Old Testament prophet? Well, the Old Testament prophet was not primarily called to foretell the future. We might think about that, but his, his primary calling wasn't to tell what's going to happen. The primary calling of the Old Testament prophet was to come and to declare the word of the Lord. That's what the prophet did. He would come to God's people and he would say, thus saith the Lord. Now that could be related to the future, but his task was to be the mouthpiece of God. He was to declare the word of God to the people of God. And so we see in the coming of Jesus Christ how he so perfectly fulfilled 
that Old Testament office of declaring the word. We read in John chapter 1, in the beginning, referring to Jesus, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the very Word of God, incarnate. Come down to minister to his people. John says his ministry was full of grace and truth. The ministry of Christ among his people while he was here on earth. He came to, to fully declare the Word of God. He, he gave it its fullest meaning. We think of how many times Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard it said, but I say to you, explaining what the word of God was to them, helping them to properly apply it in their lives. Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophetic office. But Jesus went back to heaven. How was that Old Testament office continued in the New Testament era. It was continued, first of all, through the office of the Apostle. The Apostle is the New Testament equivalent to the Old Testament prophet. The Apostle came to declare the Word of God to the people of God. But we know that the era of the prophet, the Apostle in the New Testament, the era of the Apostle is over was for the founding of the New Testament church. We don't have apostles anymore, but that, that Old Testament prophetic voice continues to be heard in the office of the minister of the Word. His task is to declare the Word of God to the people of God, to be done through preaching, to be done through teaching, the minister labors in the Word to bring the Word of God to the people of God. Again, from our confession, that we are to have that spiritual order the Lord has put us in His Word, there should be ministers or pastors to preach the Word of God and administer the sacraments. Preach the Word, administer the sacraments. Sacraments, that visible sign and seal of the Word of God among us. That's how the minister is to labor in God's Word. He is not, first of all, called to be a good administrator, although having administrative ability can be helpful. He is not, first of all, called to make all the decisions for the life of the church. That's not his calling. We're going to talk about who makes those decisions in just a couple minutes. His calling is to labor in the Word of God. To declare the Word of God to the people of God. And to do so with the authority of Christ. He holds a spiritual authority. Uh, he does not, uh, not coerce people into believing the gospel. He does not strong-arm people into believing. There was a time in church history where they tried to force people with the sword to become Christians. It never works out very well. No, his authority is not magisterial. His authority is ministerial. His weapon is not the sword of steel. His weapon is the sword of the Spirit. To, to preach the gospel, to teach the truth of God's word. This is the calling to say with full authority, thus saith the Lord, that God's people might be instructed 
that they might be comforted, that they might be cared for. Now, he teaches these things in a variety of ways. He teaches these things in the preaching that goes on, in the teaching ministry that goes on. Uh, even the preaching ministry can be done in different ways. We, we use uh, the confessions to help us in our uh, preaching ministry in the church. We preach the Word of God, but the topic of the day is directed by the confessions. They help. They help the minister to avoid preaching his favorite topic or his favorite text over and over. They help him to avoid riding a hobby horse from the pulpit. They help him to preach the whole counsel of God as he is called to. And when the minister comes and, and declares the glories of the gospel, he comes with the authority of Christ to say, you know the truth. You know that for all who repent and believe, there is salvation in Jesus Christ alone. Now put your faith and trust in him. That is not just a man calling. That is Christ himself calling through a man. The minister is called to declare the word of God to the people of God. And when he gives the call of the gospel, it is Christ himself calling, believe in me. And know the fullness of the forgiveness of your sins and the fullness of the glory of salvation. The minister continues Christ's prophetic office. In the Old Testament, the leadership of God's people was also given to the king. And we read stories in the Old Testament about kings being anointed. I think of the story of Samuel anointing David as the king of God's people. But, but the king was not simply a head of state. But the king was the head of God's people. The head of God's chosen people. Although it's a bit anachronistic, we could say that the king of Israel was the head of God's church. And as such, he was called to rule on God's behalf. He was called to protect the church. He was called to be a blessing to the church, to God's Old Testament people. And so we see how Christ comes and so perfectly fulfills that Old Testament kingship role. Christ did not come as a political personality. That was not the nature of his kingdom. It was a spiritual kingdom of which he is king of kings and lord of lords, by which he rules over all. Christ is the king and head of his church. And we, we recognize that in his ascension as he goes back to his father and sits on the throne. They are ruling and reigning right now, ruling over his kingdom. But he has gone back. He leaves behind an echo of that kingly rule. That given to us in the work of the eldership. Timothy to Paul begins this section of chapter 3. Here is a trustworthy saying. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, we would use the word elder, he desires a noble task. 
The elder is called to serve for Christ in the midst of his church, of his people. And again, his, his qualifications are spiritual qualifications. Look at verse 2. The elder must be above reproach, husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well. Spiritual qualifications to serve as an elder in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not called, first of all, to be a business owner and to profitably run a business. He's not called to be a theology professor. He is called to fulfill the spiritual qualifications that are given to the office of elder. He is called to shepherd the flock of God to care for God's people, to protect God's people as the Old Testament king would protect Israel, the elder is called to protect. He's called to guide. He's called to lead according to the word of God. We read once again from our confession. There should be ministers or pastors to preach the word of God and administer the sacraments. There should also be elders and deacons by this means, true religion is preserved. True doctrine is able to take its course. Evil men are corrected spiritually and held in check. The, 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 the elder comes to us with the authority of Christ when he comes and speaks to us out of his office. It's easy for us to forget that when the elders call. Every elder would be the first to admit that he has fallen and he is sinful. And yet, yet God chose him and ordained him to be a spiritual leader in the people of God. And so we need to listen. When the elders come to us, when the elders call us, we need to listen to them. When they come to give us words of encouragement, that is as if Christ himself were encouraging us. The elders come with Christ's authority. When they come to rebuke us, to correct us, we don't say, who do you think you are? Because although the elder wouldn't say it this way, the answer is, I am an elder ordained by Christ. They are a gift to the church, a gift to God's people to help us to, to, to walk in ways that are pleasing to God, to care for us spiritually. The elders are the ones who make the decisions for the church. That's what they're called to do. Just as the king would give direction over God's people, the elders are called to give direction over God's people. They rule us on behalf of Christ and with the authority of Christ. Their, their authority doesn't come because we elect them. Now, the confession makes reference to electing elders and deacons, and that's certainly what we do in this church as well, but their authority doesn't come from that election. 
as if they're somehow beholden to us. Their authority comes from Christ, and they are beholden to him to carefully protect and defend the people of God. Christ's kingship manifest in the office of elder. One other set of leaders in the Old Testament who were ordained, set apart for particular service, the priests. The priests had a particular role and function in the Old Testament. We think of the priests, uh, probably the first thing we think about is the sacrifices they would offer. Offering sacrifices on behalf of the people. That was certainly the heart of their ministry. The priests were not, first of all, preachers. They were not, first of all, rulers. They were priests. But as as people brought to them the offerings and their tithes and all of these things, not everything got uh, burnt up to God. Some of that was used not only for the care of the priests, but for the care of others in the community, for the poor, for the widow, for the homeless. The priests, beyond offering sacrifices, cared for the real, physical needs and concerns of God's people. And so again, we see how beautifully Christ fulfilled that office. First of all, his work as sacrifice. Christ is the final sacrifice. Not offering the blood of goats and bulls, but offering his own atoning blood for the sin of his people. A a sacrifice that was final, that can never be reduplicated. And so the deacons don't do that work. But Christ also cared for his people and ministered to their real physical needs. Christ fed the multitudes. Christ healed the sick. Christ comforted the mourning, wept with them. He cared for his people. And we see that part of the priestly office, the care and concern for the real physical needs of God's people. We see that part of the priestly office continued in the New Testament office of deacon. The call of the deacons to care for the real physical needs of God's people. Deacons are not, first of all, called to be money counters. We see them as that sometimes. You know, if you look at the list of qualifications for a deacon, it doesn't even say they can add and subtract. Now, we hope that they can. We hope our deacons can add and subtract. But again, these are spiritual qualifications that they have. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Let deacons each be husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. Spiritual qualifications for the spiritual office which they hold. Deacons ordained with the authority of Christ to care for the needs of God's people. The deacons are not a government agency. The deacons don't just dole out money. 
The deacons come in the name of Christ. They come to those inside the church. They minister to those outside the church. They come in the name of Christ with word and deed to to minister the love of Christ. Again, from our confession, not only are the evil men corrected spiritually and held in check, so that also the poor and all the afflicted may be helped and comforted according to their need. This is the work of the diaconate. It is a ministry of Christ to care for the real physical needs of God's people and done with word and deed under the authority of Christ. Three Old Testament offices, prophet and priest and king, Christ who comes to perfectly fulfill those offices. Christ as the word of God, Christ as the final sacrifice, Christ as the eternal king. And yet Christ returned to heaven. But he he left behind the continuation of his ministry in the work of ministers and elders and deacons given by Christ as a gift to his church, given by Christ to be a blessing to his church. We need to receive the office bearers in that way. Our confession concludes, Article 31, with this. Moreover, to keep God's holy order from being violated or despised, we say that everyone ought as much as possible to hold the ministers of the word and the elders of the church in special esteem because of the work they do and be at peace with them without grumbling, quarreling, or fighting. Hold them in special esteem because of the work that they do. Yes, they are just men, regular old men, but they are given a spiritual office. And for the sake of that work, we hold them in esteem. They come with the authority of Christ. We are to be at peace with them. We are to pray for them. That God would encourage the office bearers in the work he's given them to do, ministers and elders and deacons, to continue the work of Christ in his church. That the church might continue to be blessed. That Christ might be praised. That we might give glory to God. That although Christ has returned to heaven, he has not left his church. He's left us with office bearers. Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, we praise you for your Son, Jesus Christ. He is the King and only Head of his church. He is the one who calls us in the gospel to be reconciled. He is the one who ministers to our needs. And yet we know, O God, that your Son, Jesus Christ, uses means to do that. He uses means to care for us. And so we thank you for the office bearers in our own congregation. We thank you for these men who are called by you to a particular task. May they never grow weary in ministering the authority of Christ in their various offices. But in all of this, O God, may we see your care for your church and the ongoing ministry of Christ in the work of the ministers, elders, and deacons. Thank you for this glorious gift. Thank you for this blessing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.